Good morning, everyone. I'm JD. I'm one of the pastors at Pine Lake Covenant Church. We just joined me in prayer this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I come before you this morning and my heart is heavy. Our nation is broken and divided. And we are in the midst of some very, very difficult times. Lord, there's so much pain and grief and heartache. There's so much suffering and loss. There's so much destruction, Lord, and violence. Oh God, we are in need of you. Will you come and heal our land? Lord, first of all, we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have sinned, for the ways that we have fallen short, dear God, in loving our neighbor, in pursuing justice and righteousness. Dear God, if there is any offensive way in me and us, would you cleanse us of that? Would you remind, remove the blinders and remind us what it is to be your people? Help us to see the truth, O oh Lord, the truth of what it means to be yours. Forgive us for the ways in which we've fallen. Dear God, there is this wound in our country that is caused by racism, that is caused by this division. O oh Lord, would you heal it? Would you mend it? God, would you bring peace to this land? Would you help us to know what it is that we are supposed to do? Would you help us to know our part? May it start in our lives, in our hearts, dear God. And may it happen within this world. For the ways that we are broken, for the ways that we have broken others, Lord God, we lament and we grieve. And we ask desperately for your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kaylee Wood. Today's reading comes from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We will be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screen. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you, people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains strong among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in peace, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Good morning, uh, everyone. I want to start with a question, and that is, what is exile? And uh, exile is when you, there's something inside of you when you just don't feel like you're at home. It feels foreign when you're in that place. Um, an example, Patty and I lived in Alaska for 17 years, and we loved it. It was so cool. But it never felt like home. And we would talk about that. It just doesn't have that feeling of home to it. The New Testament writers give us, uh, they fill this out a little bit. They help us understand it. 
in a different way, and that is that the normal Christian experience in this world should be one of exile. Peter says we are aliens and strangers as we journey through this life. And Paul says that we have dual citizenship, but our primary citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. And the question becomes, how do we live out that dual citizenship as we we go through this life? Well, I want to bring up the African-American spirituals that are a gift, an absolute gift and a treasure to the church at large. And they come out of that horrible period of American history, which is a stain upon the conscience of this nation called slavery and the racism that goes with it, that lingers in our day. And uh, these spirituals were critiqued primarily by white intellectuals uh, in in certain time in our history. And I want to I want to give a, a response to that critique uh, by quoting from Howard Thurman, who was a great uh, African American pastor, theologian, scholar, and from a speech that he gave in 1947 at Harvard. And so uh, I'll get that up on the screen for you. And he, he, he talked about the value of these spirituals and answering the critique. He said that they offered a hope that the environment, this awful environment that the slaves found themselves in, could not crush. And that it enabled them to reject annihilation and to affirm a terrible right to live. And what he's saying there is that it not only was it this, it wasn't just this whole uh, distant pie in the sky future that had no practical implications for Earth. Far from it. It gave them hope to get the courage to live in the days they lived in and work towards a better world where they're, and you, you see these in the words of Dr. King, when all God's children will be able to have a shalom together, a peace together that day. And it's uh, so we have to hear that. How do we live with dual citizenship? It's, it's both and. Uh, on earth as it is in heaven is what we work towards, is what we pray towards. So this is the last of this series called Seeing Beyond This. And the this, and even while we've been doing this short series, has has uh, not it includes not only the pandemic for us, but it includes the, our, our racial strife we have right now, the, the injustice that we sense right now as a culture. And we can find application for where we live in these texts, these pretty obscure texts, quite frankly, of Scripture. Uh, they don't get visited very often. How many times have you read Haggai, the prophet? We're going to do that today. But it, it, it's, it's from this period of history where Israel as a nation is just hanging by a thread, just barely. And we're going to look at uh, that. So the, the outline today will be there for you on the screen. We're going to look at the good old days that are gone uh, and then be strong or be courageous. That's the commandment that's given to us. And then finally, the, this new thing that God will do and how that brings hope to their situation and how it brings hope to ours as well. 
So let's begin with the good old days. And uh, there we remember we're in the year 520 right now. And actually, we have a date. The text gives us a date, which would be October 17th of 520, to be specific. And the prophet Haggai is, is speaking into this, this remnant of people who have come out of exile and returned. And they may have wanted to return to normal, but normal isn't happening for them. And uh, they're... They want to rebuild the temple, but they become discouraged. And as the temple foundation was laid, they saw how small it was compared with the previous temple of Solomon, and they become discouraged. And in the words of the prophet, uh, which are really from the Lord, the Lord or the prophet invites them to look upon this little temple that seems like nothing. And... uh, The Lord acknowledges that it is very small compared to the previous temple. But God wants them. He really wants them to get over their discouragement and rebuild this temple. And as we get towards the end, we'll see why that is such a big deal. But the temple, let's just remember that the temple was the center of their, not just their, uh, there was their religious life, but it was kind of that icon for the nation as a whole. And it was that place where God and people meet. It was the place where heaven and earth connect. So it had this huge significance and it had stalled out. Uh, 16 years earlier, they had begun the foundation and now nothing else had happened since. So that's where we are in the text. And um, the first three verses sort of put that out there. I want to, in trying to get this into our our life today, I want to, uh, I'm going to tell you about a story about my, my college roommate, and I've shared a little bit about him before. But in order to tell that story, I want to get a, a framework up there, up here on the screen. It's called the Secular Salvation Story. And I, I, I'm i borrowing this framework from uh, a guy named Mark Sayers, who's a, an author from Australia. And I think he's very insightful. And so I'll get that up on the screen for you. And uh, this, this will sound familiar to you if you... Uh, I mean, I'm guessing you've heard this in some way. Here's the secular salvation story. And it kind of mirrors the biblical salvation story, but obviously it's very different. Number one, people are basically good. Uh, Number two, uh, they need to be set free. So they're basically good and they will become more good if they can be set free from the demands of culture, uh, superstition, and that would include religion, and then they will discover, they will uh, live into and discover their true self. And number three, they will get better through knowledge. Uh, we would say education, science, and technology. Progress will steadily advance over time. And then the goal, this is the goal, it, it's, it's a better world, and that. Uh, someday it will be realized more fully if we really work hard at it. That's the salvation story, the secular salvation story. And what what you can get, uh, the, the payoff for you personally, if you buy into that story, is that you'll get sort of this warm sense of, hey, I contributed to a better world. But that's it. There's no, uh, there's no afterlife in this story. Uh, when it's over, it's over. And somehow that... Is, is satisfying to to many. And it, it is the story. It, it is the story that surrounds us. Uh, okay, I tell you that for 
a reason. I have a friend, and he is a very dear friend from my college roommate, and his version of this salvation story, and everybody maybe has their own little take on it, but it goes something like this, is that in his life, he remembers his childhood, and he's very nostalgic about his childhood, talks about it. By the way, he has a great sense of humor. We have a lot of fun together, but that would have been in the mid to 1950s to the mid-1960s. He remembers those years fondly, and he remembers people being more in community at that time as a nation and more decent and respectful of each other. That's how he remembers it. And then he also, in his life, he has sought out education in a way that I don't know if I know anybody who has sought out education the way he has. He has two bachelor degrees, two master degrees, and he has a Ph.D. and a law degree. That's a lot of letters after your name. So he's done that. And in the secular paradigm, that should lead him to be a better person, and as our world does that, to a better world. But he realizes that this is not happening. He is extremely distraught over our culture and particularly over the politics right now that we experience. And we share in that together, so am I. I'm not as discouraged as he is about it. And that would be the fourth thing. He's become cynical, and he has really lost hope for this world, for any real change in this world. It's really sad to see him just sort of give up. What's the point? So it's led us in that, as I'm around this Eeyore friend of mine. Eeyore keeps coming back into my messages here. But we have conversations. And the first thing I would say to him in the conversation that I've said is that the 1950s, early 60s, they may have been a great good old days time for you. But think of the African-American experience of segregation, of what it was like before the Civil Rights Movement. And just imagine yourself in those shoes and how injustice was just so prevalent in those days. So he agrees with that, but still for him it was a golden age. Secondly, I bring up the problem with basically assuming that everyone's heart is basically good. There is some truth there. I mean, there is, I think, we don't get to see in everybody's heart, but I think there is some good in everyone's heart. But it isn't about the some good, it's about the some evil or the some corruption that's in there. And it just seems like you can verify this scientifically. There's nothing more verifiable than that human beings are not always on their best behavior. And this is the argument that I've made, is that when you combine a heart that is corrupted, and that comes right out of the Christian story, a heart that is corrupted and needs God, you combine that heart 
with science and education, knowledge and technology. And you have a recipe for a lot of evil. You remember Auschwitz, for just to take the extreme, uh, the German people were very educated. They used the best technology there. They had all the scientific methods. And they were able to do evil more efficiently than maybe anyone else has ever done evil. I mean, it's, so there's, there's this secular salvation story has some real problems with it. And I agree that the, the political situation today, and I believe God agrees, I will say that, that we're in a mess. So we're able to talk about that. But, the, but the, at the end of our, our conversations, I, I go away feeling like I have hope for the world. I have hope for the world, and I want to work for a better world. And, and he has a, kind of a, a, a cynical, what's the point attitude? I've tried, and it doesn't work. And that's so sad. It's just, to me, it's really sad. The good old days are gone. They really are, whatever they were for us. And the good news is that God is doing new things. But before we get there, let's look at the commandment that comes to us in uh, verses 4 and 5, or or, uh, to be strong, or uh, the translation that, I, I prefer is be courageous. You can translate it either way. You'll see that in different Bibles. But the, courageous is uh, it's a good word. And it comes from the French cour, which means heart. Be hardened. Be encouraged. Cour, encouraged. May your heart become more alive and full. And that was not an easy thing in, in that as they looked upon their situation. And by the way, this comes three times, this word, be strong or be courageous. It comes to the, the political leaders of Abel. It comes to Joshua, the, the religious leader, the priest. And it comes to all of the people. As they're looking upon this mess there, this little, uh, the rubble and this little foundation uh, of the temple that has yet to be built. And they just don't see much. They can't see beyond this. And what, I, what we're trying to get at in, in our day here is we've got to see beyond this. What Howard Thurman was saying, these African spirituals helped the slaves see beyond this. And not just pie in the sky, but to actually work for a better world. So here, here's, here's what they, they're looking at. And, and it's this, this little temple that seems to be nothing. I want to go back 100 years before this time period to another prophet, Habakkuk was his name, and he was writing uh, words that are, are really helpful for us to hear, and uh, we'll get those up on the screen for you. Reading from Habakkuk chapter 3, at the, it's the end of the book, and it's a beautiful ending to that book, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And maybe if you would read these last words with me, they're wonderful words. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer 
He enables me to tread on the heights. Now, those are beautiful words. That whole, that whole passage. I mean, the prophet Habakkuk is joining with the people and looking at the, the sort of nothingness that they are experiencing together. And, uh, and then the word yet comes in. Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful. And it, it, his, his source of joy is in the strength of the Lord. It, it, we can be strong because God is strong. We tap into that power source. Those of us who feel so discouraged or weak or whatever, we can tap into this amazing power source and become strong and we become like these deer that can tread upon the high places. Beautiful imagery for us to think about right now as we're stuck in our homes. Well, um, from this text, I want to I want to put that up, um, and we'll read verses um, from chapter two, verses four and five. And I want you to look for the commandments in here. There are particularly three commandments, and let me read that for you. Be strong. So there's the first commandment, or be courageous. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. You're going to work. And why are you going to work? For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. And here's the third commandment. Do not fear. So you're going to be courageous. You're going to work hard and you're not going to fear. Those are the words that are the imperatives in this text. It's uh, it, it, those are those are words for us, as as we, um, they're words for my friend. They're words for our culture. As we see the injustice in our culture, we got work to do, and work isn't always comfortable. It's not always easy. We got to step up. And what makes it beautiful, though, is the promise of God to be with us. You see, the secular salvation view is based on progress without presence. And we're talking about making progress because of the presence of God. His spirit will be with you, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And do not fear. We don't have to be afraid. Fear is what gets us into these dark places and keeps us there. Be strong. Okay. Let's get to the new thing that God wants to do. And I'll just walk through these verses 6 through 9, pulling out uh, some of them. And and he begins by saying, I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to shake the nations. I will shake the nations, God says. God apparently shakes things up. And we may sense some of that right now. We don't always understand cause and effect. But we sense a shaking right now. And ultimately, God is over all of that, at least. So I will shake the nations and the desired of nations will come. The desired of nations. We're going to define that in the immediate context. It probably means the most valuable things from all the nations will come to you, Israel, in this little temple here. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to us why God would, would be saying that. 
But we remember that Solomon's temple was filled with gold and silver. And so as we read on, the desired of nations will come to you. And this temple, the glory of this temple, this little look like nothing temple will be far greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. How's that going to work? This is this is the uh, this is the seeing beyond this. As you look at this foundation of a temple, I want you to see beyond it, and that there will be far more glory here than the previous temple. So uh, John, the gospel writer in the New Testament, in chapter two, makes it clear that Jesus Christ has assumed the temple upon Himself. He is now that connection point between heaven and earth, between God and people. And the glory that is in Jesus Christ is far greater than the glory that was in Solomon's temple. That's how we read it. And he is the desired of nations. He is what every nation desires and what every heart desires. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus Christ, the temple. And he will grant you shalom. That most beautiful biblical word, shalom, that means it is well with my soul and all is right with the world. That's the the sense of shalom. And don't we long for that? Well, as, as we think about the days that we're in, one of the phrases that I've heard from many of you and I've said to myself is, I just don't understand how anyone can get through these days without God in their lives or something like that. I, I've thought that. I've heard many of you say that. And I, it's, a, it's a great thing to say. I don't understand it either. And I, as I think of my friend that I've shared with, I, I don't know how he's getting through it. We've, we've communicated a little bit by email, and I just don't know how. You, how do you get through it? When, you're, when the secular uh, salvation story is unraveling, and even when that story is at its best, there is nothing beyond this life. How do you get food for your soul? How do you get light for your soul? How do you have hope for the world? What would make you want to work for a better world if all you're experiencing with your work is frustration? We have the energy. We have, we have the presence of God to do the work that he calls us to do, to fight injustice, to stand up with our brothers and sisters our African-American brothers and sisters, to stand with them, to work to make this world a better place. I mean, there's hope. There is real hope for this world. And I can work on that. And you can work on that. And you can give your life to God's story. It is beautiful. It is attractive. It is nourishing. And it will fill your soul in a way that nothing else will. Let's hear the words of the Lord through the prophet Haggai again. Be courageous. Work, work hard for the kingdom. And do not fear. And the reason we can do that is because of his promise to be with us by his spirit. Go in the grace and the peace, the shalom peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.